Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. I invite you to get your Bibles out to John chapter 9. We're going to read 25 verses here. It's just a big narrative. I know it's familiar with most of you if you've been involved in church at any level. And these first few weeks we've been here at Missio have been a little different. We're at following Easter, we're going to get started going through the Sermon on the Mount. And um, most of you that know my ministry, I'm, I'm passionate about expositional preaching. Jim is as well. Well, we'll do more dives in, diving into Scripture passage by passage, looking at God's Word. But this is these first few weeks we've been just trying to kind of set some framework around who who Missio Church is going to be, what we are about, and so so that's where we're kind of so we're going to read John nine this morning, but we're not necessarily going to go through it point by point like we normally would. Um, this passage is actually a lot about Jesus, but we're going to look at it in just the the reality of what it looks like when Jesus comes into a person's life. So this is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 25. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Man born blind comes back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, uh, Isn't this the man? Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked again, asked again, again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, 
We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. There are so many things in this story that are interesting about the character of Jesus. We do see him making mud on the Sabbath, which is a, he's working there. There's like the, there's, there are all sorts of interesting things going on this, in this narrative that point to uh, the divinity of Jesus, the power of Jesus. Uh, there's, there's just a lot tied up in this. But this morning, what I want us to see is just this simple reality. Jesus moved in this blind man's life. He gave him a command of some level and he, he obeyed it. And then his life is changed and the man then bears testimony to what has happened in his life. I don't know how it worked. I don't know all the details. I just know I once, this is what life was like and now it is different because this man showed up in my life essentially. And he tells this story. The blind man sees and he tells so where we've been over the past few weeks here at Missio Church is discussing kind of our big vision statement. Our vision statement is that we exist to glorify God by equipping or empowering all of Christ's people to worship him with all of their lives and to give every man, woman, and child a repeated opportunity to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel, not to hear the to respond. How did I do? Did I do Okay. <laughs> to respond to the gospel. This is our big idea. Three things. We talked about this Wednesday night a little bit. God, his church, the mission. We exist to glorify God. Like the song that we sang, may the glory of your name be the passion of the church. That everything we exist for is that not we would look glorious, but that God would look glorious. That's what we, that's what we want to have happen here. We want God to be glorified. And he is glorified by the full empowering of all of his people. Not by a few elevated personalities who kind of run the thing. And isn't that impressive? No, we believe that whatever God is doing in the world, he is doing through all of his people. And so one of the roles of the church is us learning how to equip and empower and encourage and comfort and support and love one another. And empower you to worship Christ with all of your life and... And to give every man, woman, and child in Mount Air, Ringgold County, and that is involved in your life, repeated opportunities. The way Dr. Ryan Cozy said it, he says to hear, to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. We just have respond to the gospel. But th this idea that the gospel is put on display in deeds, but certainly in a message that the gospel needs to be proclaimed so that everyone can hear this, this good news. This manifests in our five discipleship outcomes, like our four core values of God, truth, love, and mission, which Dennis nailed Wednesday night. 
because he took notes. Because he took notes. Which is <laughs> okay. It's okay. He, God, love, uh, God, truth, love, and mission. And it, this is then worked out in our five discipleship outcomes. And those are communing with God, living by the Spirit, sharing God's grace, using spiritual gifts, and stewarding life generously. Those are the five discipleship outcomes. We've gone through a couple. This morning we are on the third of these outcomes, sharing God's grace. And I mean, I suppose we, it's, uh, sharing is like sharing with others the story of God's grace. Sharing God's grace, telling of God's grace. This is a natural outflow from all that we've discussed so far. If you exist to glorify God by, by being empowered and empowering others in the church, this is a natural outflow of the gospel in your life. Is that when something good happens to you, you tend to want to share it. When something amazing happens in your life, you want to share it. I remember um, several years ago when the dairy suite had opened up and they introduced the, um, the cheesecake tornado. I told everyone I knew about the cheesecake tornado because it was amazing, you know, and so it, it, I enjoyed it and I wanted others to know the, the good news of there's a new cheese, I'm sure it's just graham crackers that are just crushed up and put in there, whatever it is, I don't want to know, I probably don't want to know, but whatever it is, <laughs> it's delicious and I want you to, that's caught up in the idea of enjoyment, of, of love, of something good happening is that we share it. We worship God when we enjoy him by telling others of that joy. And in fact, joy is, the, is, is one thing that is, is not diminished by your sharing of it, but it's actually increased by it. Like if you, if you give away or you share the joy that of, of what God has done in your life, it, does, it, it, it seems like that should diminish it, right? You have this whole cup of, here's what God has done for me, but if I tell you about it, then it's going to lower my cup. No, it actually doesn't. The enjoyment of God, it increases our joy. Our joy is increased when we share the news of that joy with those around us. In one sense, it almost completes the joy. There's, a, there's almost a final, a completion, a, a sweetness to the reality of when you've enjoyed something and then you share it with another. It completes the joy. It makes it more full to say, here's this experience. Because then you, you go and you take the person to the dairy suite and you get them a cheesecake tornado or whatever. And, and the joy is increased in the sharing of that joy. This is why we love parties. Like we're going to have... All right, after church this morning, this shared experience of being together and enjoying. That's why when we go to stadium or go to a concert, see something live, how that's never duplicated by, by watching it on TV or a recording. It's nice. I mean, you can, you can certainly enjoy it. But I think we've all experienced the moment when you're in there sharing this moment. There's more to it. There's more to it. And so we... There, this, and it's why we retell stories. It's why we recall incredible moments of the past. They are natural and necessary parts of the enjoyment. So our goal, our vision is that we give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to respond to the gospel when we speak of it in our conversations with them. Paul makes this point in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, when he asks this rhetorical question. He's like, how are they to believe in him 
of whom they never heard. How are they going to believe in the gospel if they've never heard it? How, how are they going to believe in whom they have never heard? Now, this is where, Missio, we want to press on us as a body to be a little different. Typically, churches that would kind of understand that, we need people to hear about Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, cajole and guilt and drag everyone to a meeting where we can get one guy to tell you what the gospel is, hoping that you hear it. We exist to empower all of Christ's people to worship him with all of their life, giving every man and woman and child a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel by the full empowerment of all of God's people. So one of our discipleship outcomes is sharing God's grace, is that we want to empower all of us to become equipped and empowered to share the story of what God has done, who he is, what the gospel is, through the mechanism of what he's done in you. Your story about what God has done in your life is an incredible story. <laughs> Anytime God takes a sinner who is under his wrath at enmity, at war with him, and and regenerates them, they are born again, they are rescued out of their sins and saved. It's an incredible story. It is an incredible work that God has done, one that should be shared. Whatever God is doing in the world, he is doing through all of God's people. So we want you to, what are five, our five discipleship outcomes, we want you to be communing with God daily. We want you to be living by the Spirit. When God says go, when the Word tells you live this way, you obey. And we want you to be sharing God's grace. All of us to be sharing God's grace. Like the man healed by Jesus, he heard Jesus' words, he obeyed, God moved in his life, and he couldn't help but say, here's what Jesus has done for me. Here's how God's grace has moved in my life. So, this is something you almost never hear me do. I'm going to take a few minutes to tell you a little bit about myself. <laughs> I don't like to do that. I mean, I, I, I like to do that in a personal moment, but I don't like to take pulpit time. I want to point you to Jesus a bunch. But let me tell you, let me share with you a little bit about, about me. So um, uh, this is a component of my grace story. I think you, everyone has different narratives of how God has saved them. Uh, God opened my eyes to the, the gospel uh, later, the last half of my sophomore year of high school, I'd met a girl. I'd known her all my life. We started dating. She started dragging me to church, got me a Bible. And I, I really began to see um, the, yeah, she's here. Um, <laughs> she's still with me. God is amazing. <laughs> uh, and, and began to open my, I'd, I'd always grown up in church. I'd always um, been, and I had a very, a good boy sort of like, desire. Like I wanted to be good. If there's a few years in elementary you could debate that. But I, I wanted to be thought of as a good kid and I felt like religion was basically just trying to be nice. Trying to be a good kid. Trying to do the right thing. Trying to be a good person. And my eyes were opened. I mean really John 3 16 even though it's the it kind of gets a lot of bad press because it's so common. Just the idea that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life is a big deal. <laughs> That's a big deal. That Jesus saves sinners by giving of himself. So anyway, I, I get saved last half of my sophomore year and 
I never, I finally kind of come to an understanding of my sinfulness before a righteous God, the need for Jesus to go to the cross to take my sin upon himself. I, I begin to understand more, begin to, to, to put my faith in Christ, in the gospel, to treasure Jesus. And I begin to read my Bible. And so after my conversion, you know, my high school, high school years, and, and in my silly high school mind, I've got my my NKJV Spirit-Filled Life Bible. Don't buy that Bible. Uh, buy an ESV Study Bible. But that's what I had when I was in high school. And I, I thought, I need, a, I need a life verse. Like, didn't you, you know, like, this is the way a high school mind thinks. It's like, I've got, I need a life verse. And so at our school, when you went and had lunch, you always gave your student ID number. Does anyone remember their student ID number? You remember it? Huh? What is it? What is it? Seven five three six. Oh, I see. There you go. Kids still have to. You still have to know your student numbers. Okay. Mine. Yours is in the seven thousands. I was nine ten. <laughs> I was nine hundred and ten. Nine ten was my student ID number. And so I thought, oh, I'm nine ten. I began to simply go through my Bible and look at every chapter nine verse ten. Chapter nine verse ten. The, don't study your Bible this way. I'm just telling you. It's part of my story. Okay. This is not living by this. This is just what I did. This is just part of the narrative, okay? It's just what I did. I landed on Psalm 910. Psalm 910 says, Those who know your name, Lord, trust in you, for you have not forsaken those who seek you. And I thought, I'm, I'm taking that. That's mine. Those who know your name, Lord, trust in you, for you have not forsaken those who seek you. And I began to live with that verse. Like I, I just, I kind of adopted it as my own. If I wrote in your yearbook, I might have put Psalm 910 on it. If I would send you a card, I would, I'd put Psalm 9. Some of you may have got cards from me with Psalm 910 on it. I still live with it. I still love it. Um, however, it wasn't until a few years later that God illumined, uh, illuminated a certain emphasis of this truth to my heart. I, I was living, though I did trust in Jesus, I'd always read this from the perspective that God wouldn't forsake those who sought him. And it, and it had a very man-centered bent to it. That as long as I was seeking God, I could trust he wouldn't forsake me. And it, it, it almost, in a real way, turned the gospel on its head. It became not a helpful verse, but a crushing verse. The law of God can do this to you. And it's actually one of the uses of the law is to break you. If you think it's going to be liberating to hear a simple thing, just seek God and he'll not forsake you. You think, all right, until you go a week and you're like, I haven't sought God at all this week. Am I forsaken now? I mean, and that's, that's the way my you know, non-gospel trained mind was thinking. That the emphasis was on my part of seeking him. And while there certainly is a continued seeking of God that occurs in a person's life, I had turned it into a burden. But one day I was in a, a really sweet car driving west of town that I also still own. It's not as sweet anymore. <laughs> driving west of town. And I, and I began to think on this verse and it, it, it clicked. It clicked. I don't, I don't know how to say it. The spirit moved. What do you want to say? God illumined this truth to me. That it was not my seeking that earned God's not forsaking of me, but it was God's not forsaking of me that produced in me a search for him. 
that, that, that the gospel took on a new light. That, that my search for him was not an example of my faithfulness to him. It was, the, it was a working out of this reality of his faithfulness to his people. His faithfulness to me as his child. And I found myself liberated by this truth of, of really the gospel. Which is not what you do for God to get him to love you. But what, what he has done in his love for you to save you from your sins. That those who he has not forsaken, it's in the past tense. It doesn't say he won't forsake those who seek him. It says he has not. He, you have not forsaken those who seek you. And my heart was broken in a good way to, to, to be relieved from this crushing burden of I've got to do something to make sure God still won't forsake me, to make sure God loves me. I've got to, put, to keep up the, the act, the whatever you want to say, to earn God's righteousness to earn God's love and Psalm 910 that I'd known for years hit me in a new way and it's like the very fact that you're praying to me that you're concerned about my not forsaking of you is evidence that I haven't because I haven't forsaken those who seek me I've taken the gospel of grace and turned it back into a declaration of works but seeing this produced in my heart made a new gladness and a new eagerness to serve him and to treasure him do you ever struggle with that? I think we live in a performance-based world that is about, my Christianity is about what I do for God. When the Christian message is not what you do for God, but what God has done for you in Christ. To rest in Him, to trust Him, and then that does bear fruit, but it is not the fruit that earns His love, it is His love that has been given that then produces fruit. Now that's just a part of my grace story and just even we started singing and I don't want to get too, uh, too like uh, whatever uh, heebie-jeebies going on but I like I don't know I'm not sure what grace story I'm going to share now I'm beginning to feel the spirit move and I thought I might share something different. I, you know that's just a part of what God we could go on forever and you don't want to hear that. So that's just a part of a grace story okay. That's when we talk about sharing God's grace. Now, in one sense, it wasn't sharing God's grace because I'm behind a, a music stand, not a pulpit. I'm behind, and you're all sitting there quietly and obediently, you know, nicely listening to me. So in one sense, it wasn't really a shared a grace story. But that's what we're talking about. Getting, getting good at just saying, sharing a grace story. So, oh my. Uh, what this is, what this isn't. What a grace story is, what a grace story isn't. A grace story is a story of God's grace. Not your personal story. It is a story of God's grace. The story, the point of, the, of what you're telling, if, if we're going to get good at sharing our grace stories, that's what we're hoping to do, is that the emphasis of the story is not how great you've been or some great thing you've done. It's what God has done in you. It is a grace story. So we don't want to just tell stories about, here's this great thing I've done for God. It is, here's this amazing reality of what God has worked in my own heart. You're not working to try to make yourself look good. Many grace stories will be, here's how bad I was, how bad it looked for me, and yet how God broke in and rescued me. Our grace story is not is a story of God's grace. It is not a personal story about our goodness. A, a grace story is something tethered to Scripture. And it doesn't have to always be like you're quoting chapter and verse. But 
I think, a safe way. It, it is tethered to Scripture and not just some vague God story. Not just vague God talk. You can turn on your TV, turn on the Oprah Winfrey's channel, turn on TBN or whatever, and he, don't do it. I'm saying don't do that, but I'm saying you could, and hear all sorts of vague God talk. You know, God doing this, or, you know, this, it just kind of real vagueness. What we want to work at is tethering this, what are our four values? What's our second of our four values? Truth. God, truth, love, and mission. We want this story to be, to be grounded upon truth. So it's tethered to something tangible from God's word, not just vague God talk. And it is personal, not preaching, not apologetics, not arguing. You're not trying to make some point or to counteract a point. You're just sharing, here is God's grace. So, in, a, in a, the end of our time here, as just, I want, there's some things I want to bring an awareness to when it comes to sharing your grace story and then, and then give you hopefully some practical steps about what does it mean? How are we going to get work on this outcome of, of, of our discipleship? A few things that we should know and be aware of when it comes to sharing your grace story. The measurable outcome of sharing God's grace is not in the outcome it produces, but in the faithfulness of sharing it. Um, and I think that's important because it is not like I share, I tell you something about Psalm 910 and what it's done in my life, and all of a sudden everyone loves Psalm 910 and it's this meaningful thing in their life. The, 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 the outcome or the, the fruit of it is not in the results you get, it is in the faithfulness of sharing God's grace. It is not our job to get people to trust Christ. That is what the Holy Spirit does. It brings new life. It, he opens, not it, excuse me. He opens eyes. He opens hearts to see the truth. The Holy Spirit does that. It is our job simply, our privilege to share this story. So the, that measurable outcome is not what it produces, but in that it is shared. Secondly, not everyone will enjoy your story. You look at the man born blind. They did not necessarily like what he was saying. <laughs> there was a lot of opposition to it. Not everyone is going to love your grace story. Not everyone is going to, but to be aware of that. To be aware of it. So it's not in what it produces, it's in the sharing of it. Be aware that it may not always produce wonderful life in those around you. The third awareness I think we need to have, you can kill your grace story before it even begins, by living like a jerk in this life. <laughs> you can kill your grace story before it even begins by how you live your life. If your life displays nothing of the character of Christ, not many will care to hear your claims about what God has done in your life. It's like, yeah, I don't, oh, Jesus has done that in you? No, thank you. That there is a real burden. Like we want to live our lives in such a way that opens doors for the sharing of what God has done. The call for, uh, from a Christian, the call from a Christian to trust Christ can be killed by the character of the Christian. How do we treat the stranger or the bypasser on the street, the average person in our community? How do you engage in our world today? How do you engage, this is maybe too practical, but how do you engage on social media? 
How quickly can you kill a possible sharing of the gospel by an interaction on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or wherever it may be that you can kill any opportunity because of the way you are conducting yourself? Don't kill your grace story before you even have a chance to share it. Those are all kind of negative. I want you, lastly, to have awareness of these possibilities. You never know when a single moment of sharing of a grace story will take impact and take root in someone's life. That the Holy Spirit might move through this three-minute conversation, this simple story, that God might awaken a heart to life. So when it comes to sharing God's grace, three practical steps. And I, I, I really like us as a church to, to work on these things. These are outcomes we want to see, measurables in our lives. How are we doing when it comes to sharing our grace story? First thing for a practical step is just spend some time thinking through your life. How many of us just go through life? It's very easy. You just get up, you go to work, you come home exhausted, you do a few things, you go to bed. Think through your life. Reflect. How has God moved in my life? What is this narrative that God is writing with my life? What was my life like before Jesus? What were the things that happened? What were the scriptures? What were the, who were the people around me that really opened my eyes? How did the Holy Spirit work in my life and change me, make me new? What scripture passages along the way, what moments in my life along the way have really changed me and influenced me? There will likely be many different movements in your life. Have you thought through them? For some, there'll be the incredible moments of saving grace. Like if you were here on the Wednesday night when Rich shared his grace story of just a black and white, I was this way, Jesus showed up, I haven't been the same since. Phenomenal. <laughs> it might be more like mine where, I don't know, God was working all along the way and, and certain different points in my, in my narrative, a scripture would, would illuminate this truth, my heart would be broken anew and I would trust in, in new ways. Think through your life. Secondly, find three to five passages of Scripture. I know this is going to sound mechanical, but honestly, think of three to five passages of Scripture that were meaningful to you. So that when you get into a conversation with someone and a, a topic comes to mind and you're like, here's a passage that really helped me when you were dealing with whatever emotion, whatever struggle, whatever suffering, whatever difficulty... It's not just an empty practice. I think we also should do this because it's an effort to increase your own personal thankfulness for what God has done in your life. And thirdly, practice with each other. When it comes to sharing God's grace, rehearse it in your family. Rehearse it here. Share it with each other. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a dialogue that just begins to happen in, a, in, in your life. Uh, that, that if you become immersed, like my family... Uh, was always a very quiet family. We would get together for Christmas and, and New Year's or whatever, and we'd just watch a football game and honestly just watch the football game. We didn't talk. There wasn't a lot of banter. We just kind of enjoyed the game, maybe a few quiet conversations. And then, I, again, this girl, I, I meet her family, and it's all around the table, loud, sarcastic, boisterous, uh, you know, kind of, kind of giving each other a hard time a lot. And, and, and I sit and steep in that environment for a while, for a year or so, and then I go back to a family event, and everyone's, and I just, and my, I think is what is myself, but I've adopted all of this sort of like sarcasm and, you know, kind of edginess from just sitting in that 
culture, sitting in that conversation. I'm not putting one good, bad. I'm just saying that they were different. And the conversation, the environment you sit in produces certain behaviors. We all know it in a negative way. The goal here at Missio is that speaking of God's work in our lives becomes so regular and so natural that when we are in conversations, it isn't this stressful work at how do I point this person to a text or how do I, how do I talk about Jesus? It becomes part of our dialogue. Talking about who God is, what he has done, how the gospel has shaped our lives becomes just who we are. We all know the nervousness that comes along when you try to, you've got a friend. I mean, I probably could ask you to think of a friend you want to share the gospel with. And instantly you like, like start having cold sweat breaking on your forehead. Like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to talk to this person. This is, you know, nerve wracking. I think the, the, the emphasis of sharing God's grace is important because it's less about you preaching a sermon to your friend but learning how to, in your daily conversations and interactions, how to naturally point to who God is and what he has done for you. Sharing God's grace. The idea is that we all become more natural with this way of speaking about God. And the opportunities to share such stories will become obvious and more natural. Here's what I'm certain of. If you are his, if you are God's through faith in Christ... God's grace has moved in your life. He has done something in you. If you're here this morning and you're seeking after God, newsflash, that's because God's actually after you. <laughs> that's because he hasn't forsaken you. That's because he's pursuing you still to come towards him. Your search for him is in a mystical, wonderful way, a response to his calling out to you. If you are his, God's grace has moved in your life. It has been for your good. And it is the sharing of that story that that good is multiplied as the church benefits from your encouragement and as those who do not yet know Jesus have repeated opportunity to hear the gospel, to respond to the gospel, that they might themselves trust and treasure Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we've just spent some time trying to reflect upon your great faithfulness, your goodness, Father, I, I do ask that you would illumine to each one of us these, these incredible moments father yes for the sharing of them but god for our own enjoyment of them that sharing god's grace at some level father is is my personal enjoyment of you and letting that spill out into the lives of those around me and so father in in one way this desire to get better at sharing god's grace is a desire that each one of us no exception from the youngest kid to the the oldest adult would be well rehearsed at remembering your faithfulness, your goodness, the joy we have in you, the security, the safety, that when dark times come in our lives, knowing something like 1 Peter 1, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for us. We have all we need in you. Father, help us to remember, to see, to rejoice in these things ourselves that the sharing of them would spill out into our community, that you would be glorified, and that for the good of those who hear, that they might be saved to treasure you as well. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.